Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Well, good morning, Mercy family. As you all know by now, uh, tragedy struck right here at home this week uh, up at UNC Charlotte, and uh, it is something that we are all mourning, uh, mourning the loss of two students, uh, mourning uh, just the, the tragedy of what's taken place. And uh, I feel like there's a couple of things that the Lord has been sort of reverberating in my heart as I've been praying for um, our students. I don't know if you know, but Mercy Church is home to a number of college students, and we just, we love uh, UNC Charlotte, love the university, and, um, and grieve right alongside of it. And the two things that the Lord has been, uh, in particular, I think, leading me towards is a couple of prayers. Uh, one, praying for comfort um, and praying against fear for of those that have been affected by this. I've been praying for comfort because I know there's that space where we start to ask questions. Uh, questions often race into our minds of where is God in the middle of this? And, and why has something like this, this happened? Why would God let this happen? Uh, and that's okay. There's plenty of space in scripture where scripture cries out, why God or how long, O Lord, right? Uh, and in response, God does not give us a theology lesson because he is a kind father to us. In response, so often, he gives us his very presence. And I want to lead us into that this morning in a time of prayer. Uh, I want to lead you towards this. is the scripture that God has been putting on my heart. It's Isaiah 41.10, where Israel is going through this. They're, they're being attacked over and over again, and stuff keeps happening. They're like, God, where are you? And God responds to them. And the one verse that stuck out to me, he says, do not fear. Isaiah 41.10, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. You see, in the, the midst of even tragedy like this, God looks at us and he says he is still Emmanuel. He is still right with us. And his presence with us is what will bring us comfort. His Holy Spirit that he has promised to be with us inside of each believer will give us comfort unlike anything else ever could. And at the same time uh, that I've been praying for that comfort, I've been praying against fear because the enemy would use something like this to stir fear in everyone's heart and mind. Um, I think about, you know, Wednesday morning after after everything that happened Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, there were parents up on campus moving their kids out, taking them home. Uh, and the campus has rallied in a really uh, wonderful way. Our college staff has poured themselves out and so have several other uh, campus ministers and the student body has responded in a really remarkable, encouraging way. But we know that it can be scary to even walk across campus right now. Just that felt sense. That's what happens in a trauma. And so we wanna pray against that. We wanna pray that the believers there up on campus will remember what 2 Timothy 1 says, that they are not given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love 
that comes from who they are in Christ. We wanna pray that they walk with that and that they introduce that to others. So we wanna pray for comfort, we pray against fear, and we recognize that all of the, the promises that we're praying about are always, they, they come to us through Christ. And so we wanna pray uh, for those lost sons and daughters that are so shaken by this moment because they may not have any hope. Uh, we wanna pray for them to find hope in God through this. What, what that would be the one sort of thing that we would hope comes out of this is that more people would turn themselves to God. So I wanna ask if we would take just, uh, just about a minute, if this is uncomfortable for you, listen, here's just the deal. Mercy Church, is, we're a people of prayer because we believe the power belongs to God and we, the way we unlock that power, activate that in our lives is by believing on him. And so we wanna go to him and say, God, would you, would you bring comfort in a way that we never could? And God, would you protect against fear and would you bring the lost home? And so if you would, I'd, I wanna ask you to partner up with another person um, there near you. If that's uncomfortable, listen, just bow your head, close your eyes and, and it'll be completely fine. I'm gonna give you just a moment to pray with someone else and then I'm going to lead us through um, a time of, of prayer together. So you take those three things, God, give comfort, God, protect from fear and God, bring the lost sons and daughters home through this. You pray. Um, pray together, one person, then the next, and then I will, um, I will close this in just a moment. God, we weep with those who are weeping. And there's no way for us to, to fully be there, of course, in our emotions. But God, we, we mourn the loss of these two students. God, we thank you for the act of self-sacrifice we saw on one of them. God, we cry out and we, we hate what this what sin has done to this world, that something like this would happen. And we grieve it. God, I pray that you would bring comfort to our students, bring comfort to the families of those that are lost. God, I pray that you would bring a spirit of peace, not one of fear across the campus there and across the believers there that they could introduce others to the name of Christ that brings peace, not anxiety, not fear. God, we thank you for the hope we have in Christ. God, we thank you for the hope of 
Uh, we know that if surely he has gone on to the cross for us, he has not abandoned us now. God, we know that if he has the power to get out of the grave, he has the power to comfort and carry us now. We know that, God, we have an eternity with you and the death is not, the death has not won over us. And so God, I pray that your spirit would flood our hearts and our minds in the days ahead with those promises that we would be able to grieve as people with hope. God, thank you for your grace that we have in Christ. Carry us, Father, as we mourn. We pray in Christ's name, amen, amen. I can really think of, um, I just as I was thinking through how we were going into uh, continuing this weekend and, and going into the series that we're walking through that we're calling Following Jesus, what, um, how thankful I was that the, what we're covering today is the, the topic of today. We're in this series, if you're newer with us, called Following Jesus, where we're just looking at the basics of the Christian life. Um, how you walk with Jesus about the end of this series, you'll have a sense of confidence, we hope, um, through both the sermons kind of setting you up and then the resources we're providing to, for you to work through day in, day out, hopefully have a sense of confidence of what it would look like to follow Jesus. And to help you, we've been using this thing that we call the gospel wheel, right? And this is this thing that um, we showed you last week kind of in full, the idea being it's kind of like a, just a, a guide or a map, if you will, of what the Christian life looks like, that it, the hub of your life, if your life is a wheel, the hub of it is the gospel itself, what Christ has done for us. And then out of what he has done for us, out of God's love for us, then we then respond back to God in devotion. We respond with love towards other believers and community, and we respond with love towards our world. And that, of course, is mission. All of that, the more that we follow Christ into those spaces, the more we will start to look like Christ, which is why the rim of our wheel is Christ's likeness. That's our destination where we're heading. That's what we've been looking at, right? Today, what we're looking at is devotion, how we devote ourselves to God, because until you understand your relationship with God rightly, and specifically today we're looking at our relationship with his word, until you understand that rightly, you'll never be able to rightly engage with other believers or with the world around you. We have to, have to start there. Um, my sophomore year up at UNC, uh, I took a class called Intro to New Testament. Intro to New Testament, which I was shocked, you know, proud liberal arts school. I was like, they have an intro to New Testament class here. And this is the first time that I'd really ever been excited um, about my faith. And so I was like, oh man, this would be great. I'm going to get to go to Bible study and I'm going to get class credit for it. This is going to be awesome. Well, little did I know uh, that the professor was an agnostic. Uh, he was a, a scholar in New Testament and an agnostic. And I just was not prepared for my first day in class there. Um, and so he gets, out his, um, he gets out a copy of the Bible and he walks up in front of the room, class of about 300 people. And he says, okay, how many of you, I just wanna get an idea of kind of who's in class this semester. How many of you own a Bible, just show of hands? And so I think probably 100%, spring 2002, I think probably 100% of students in the room, it was probably like 95%, raised their hand, right? Um, he said, okay, great. A lot of Christians in the room. All right, uh, next question. How many of you then have read this whole thing cover to cover? Show of hands. Y'all, maybe, maybe 10 hands in the room went up. 
I was not one of them. And man, what he said next, it has stuck with me very vividly to this day. He said, oh, well, you know, my um, goal this semester, it's something to this effect. My goal this semester was to prove to you that this Bible is not the inspired holy word of God, but clearly the majority of you already agree with me. Because how could you say that it's the word of God and yet not have read it? And right there, he had us. And my 19-year-old self looking back at him, you know what I found myself saying? He's right. He's absolutely right. Because y'all, I found myself thinking, I was agreeing with an idea that the Bible is the word of God, but I wasn't thinking about it. And he was banking on a whole group of students that were thinking the exact same way, agreeing with the idea, but not having really said, you know, the idea that the Bible is God's word is just an idea. He banked, however, that in actuality, the Bible was a relic that we respected and not the foundation that we had built our lives upon. And from that moment on, he was the expert and we were all novices. And so he could say to us, listen, this thing is full of contradictions, right? It's full of mistakes. And your parents were good people who told you that it was God's word, but they didn't know any better. But now you're gonna know better. So you don't have to believe that this thing is God's word. And you can let this sit up on the shelf without feeling any guilt and go on and live your life without this silly religion. And it won't really affect you all that much anyways. He was the expert and we were the novice. And the reason I recall that moment so clearly is because it was the watershed moment in my Christian life. I couldn't pretend like that didn't just happen. <laughs> you just can't in that moment. So I, I kind of came to a, at this point where I said, okay, I'm gonna immerse myself in the Bible this semester and we're gonna see what happens. I had to study twice as hard as the classwork required because I had to learn all of my professor's arguments. And then I had to go and seek out, um, are there any rebuttals to these arguments? Studying, studying, studying. And I did, and it turns out I found a lot of arguments um, against what my professor was saying because he wasn't offering anything new. He was offering arguments that are centuries old, just dressed up in new clothing. And great Christian minds have been responding to that throughout the ages. But all of this forced me into the pages of scripture for hours and hours on end. And that's where I began to be overwhelmed because this book, this book became so much more than a book. It became life to me. It overwhelmed my soul the more that I engaged it. I finally found what Charles Spurgeon says about the Bible to be true. He said the Bible is like a caged lion. He said, and so often we try to keep the lion in its cage and we gather around and try to defend it with the whole bunch of arguments from all of its enemies that want to attack it. And Spurgeon says, you fools, let the lion loose. The lion will defend itself. And that's what happened to me spring semester, sophomore year. And I feel like my job this morning is to let the lion loose because it will defend itself. If you 
like me, believe that this is God's word, and, and yet you don't really know it. You don't build your life on it, yet I hope today is going to ignite a little bit of a crisis in you. All right, just, just a little bit of that, because we're, in, again, in the middle of this series, we're trying to teach you how to follow Jesus, and this is where it all starts. And I know people come into church, they had not been there in a long time, that's what happens week in, week out here at Mercy, and you're looking for hope, looking for meaning and purpose. And what I want to tell you this morning is it was right here for you all along. And we are going to unlock that this morning and I'm, that's why I'm so excited. That's why I feel like this sermon is so timely because we're looking into scripture at a time where we desperately need to hear from God and God has spoken. And it's right here for us, right here for us. The guidance, the peace, the presence of God with you, it all begins right here. The Bible is a book, but it is way, way much more. So I wanna show you today what God says about the Bible, what he says it is, That'll lead us into why we need to, to read it every day. And y'all, just cards on the table. That's where the sermon ends. I want you to pick up your Bible. If you don't own one, we have a copy of one for you. If you're a parent with young children, we've got copies of, of Bibles that'll help you teach the stories to your children. The, where this sermon ends is, just open it. Open it. See what God has to say to you. I'm telling you, for me to do anything else other than just put you there for you to see it yourself, I, I feel like I'm trying to explain the vastness of the, uh, the, the majesty of the Grand Canyon or the majesty of the Dean Dome, like these two completely alike, iconic national landmarks, the Grand Canyon and the Dean Dome, right? Uh, <laughs> eventually, you have to just say you run out of words and you just got to go and experience it yourself. Again, either one. There's the East Coast landmark and the West Coast landmark. You just got to figure out what works best for you. All right, um, but look, I, I hope we dip our toe into the water over these next few minutes of what, of what is in store for us here. That's about all I could, could hope to do if, if we approach this thing rightly. So I'm gonna go to three places in scripture, show you three things that the Bible says about itself, what God is kind of telling us this thing is, and then I'm gonna show you how to read it, kind of how to begin to interact with it, okay? All right, um, Psalm 1 is gonna be the first place that we go, okay? Psalm 1, I'm gonna read us verses one through three, all right? Um, this is, again, it's the way the, the book of the Psalms opens. If you're newer to the Bible, um, again, like I said, we have copies out there. If you're not, you might scroll and turn your Psalm. There's a great app called the Bible app. Uh, it's a little picture of a brown Bible with Holy Bible written across if you're on your app store. Uh, it's a great one, but if you've got a hard, hard copy, you kind of open the Bible into the middle, there are the Psalms, okay? Psalm 1, verse 1, listen to this. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. This is how the Psalms open. And the arrangement is very intentional. The first word in the Psalms, how happy. The Psalms are beginning by saying how happy is the one, which means, listen, just right out of the gate, the Bible is telling you that happiness here in this life is possible, which we all believed as children, 
But the older and more successful we become, the more cynical, or maybe not even successful, just the more life we live, the more cynical we become towards the idea of true happiness being possible. I mean, if I were to ask you, like right now, are you truly, completely happy in this life? I wonder if we did a show of hands, how many hands would be raised, especially then if we went out and we engaged uh, non-Christians around the community and maybe just the non-Christians in your network, are you really, truly happy? You might say, yeah, I'm okay. I don't know if I'm truly happy. Why are we not happy? Because y'all, so often we look for happiness the wrong way. The Bible offers happiness on a fundamental level, not superficial. Look at what he says in Psalm 1. He says, this man is a, a tree and a tree is subject to seasons. Its leaf doesn't wither when it becomes a cold winter or a really dry summer because it was planted by a stream of, right there by a stream of water. It always has a life source flowing through it, so it's always bearing fruit. A lot of people look for happiness in what happens to them, but happiness doesn't come from there. Not from what happens to you, it comes from who you are. A Christian is someone who has been rooted or, or planted in something besides him or herself. This is what happens when you become a Christian. Something from outside is planted into us, and now we are rooted into God himself, and he gives us life. And so there's this power and outlook that just wasn't there before, and we draw our life from that, and we find that life in the pages of Scripture. So then happiness, listen to this, becomes a byproduct of a search for something greater. This will take a second for you to get your mind around, but lock in here. The person who is truly happy is the one who has stopped trying to find happiness. You don't go to God for happiness. This is huge for how you read the Bible. You go to God for God, to get more of him, to know him more. And when you seek first his kingdom, the byproduct will be a, a happiness, a deep-seated joy that no season can wither. This is why this guy's delight is in the instruction of the Lord. It's more than a set of rules. It's a rule of life. It's leading him to God, not for what he can get from God, but to get God himself. And then as he conforms his life to God's design, think the wheel that we're going through, he flourishes here and now because God made us to flourish on this earth and the Bible is our guide for recovering that original design. In scripture, we see the character of God and his plan for our lives. And the more we align our lives with his words, the more we flourish in life. Now, I don't mean prosper financially, though that might happen, but I do mean that we live with a joy we can never find in just our circumstances. That would be that first thing. The Bible is God's gift to us for our flourishing. That's what I want you to see from Psalm 1. It is a gift to us. We're actually gonna even close that back around and come back to, back to that here in a little bit. But it is his gift, his instruction to us, yes, but it's such a gift because the more that we abide there in his word, the more we'll flourish because he's created this whole thing and he's given us a way to flourish inside of it. Now I wanna show you something else about the Bible, incredibly important. We're gonna go over to Deuteronomy chapter six. Um, that is book five of the Bible. So uh, you make your way there. Um, if you want to, you can. Again, I'm gonna have the words on the screen. You can take notes. Uh, there's this big command at the beginning of Deuteronomy six. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and you shall follow him. And he keeps going on, you shall teach this 
to your children and grandchildren, and you shall show the, uh, put it everywhere on the frontlets of your eyes, on the doorposts um, of your house, on your gates, put it everywhere, this word that I'm teaching you today. Teach them. But then something happens down in verse 20 that I picked up on this week. I thought it was awesome. Everybody kind of refers to the beginning of Deuteronomy 6 because it is a watershed moment in the scriptures. But Deuteronomy 6, verses 20 to 21, listen to this. When your son asks you in the future, what's the meaning of the decrees, statutes, and ordinances that the Lord our God has commanded you? You get that? (laughs) When your son says, Dad, why are we following all these rules? Why are we doing all these things? You tell him, verse 21, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. You see the response? Y'all, the Bible's not just a set of rules. So when you teach your kids the Bible day in and day out, there's gonna come a time where your child's gonna ask, why are we doing all this? Why do we do what the Bible says? Who knows, they might even complain about having to obey you from time to time. And listen, I think one of the huge misses we can make in parenting is forgetting to tell our kids why we follow God's commands. That's because the Bible is more than a guide for our flourishing. The Bible is the story of God rescuing his people through Jesus. And Moses says, when your kids ask why, you start with, let me tell you the story of our redemption. And let's go from there. That's why we say the gospel is the hub at the center of your life. For those of you newer to the Bible, I know the table of contents can seem a little odd. 66 separate books written by 40 different authors. Some people think of it as a set of rules. And yes, there are plenty of commands in there, but even the commands come as a part of the story. And the overarching story has Jesus as the main character. Um, There's a a book that we recommend a lot to parents of like early elementary, late preschool kind of age. Um, It's by Sally Lloyd-Jones, fantastic work called the Jesus Storybook Bible. We have some copies that you can look at in our kids' area. Uh, The subtitle, though, she says, the subtitle of the book is Every Story Whispers His Name because the Bible is a collection of stories telling one big story. All 39 Old Testament books show a need for a rescuer, but the rescuers of the Old Testament never seem to provide lasting victory. They're always tragically flawed in one way or another, and as a result, the people never find permanent rest or peace. When they do find victory, it's either partial or it's temporary. Each story cries out for a savior who can bring a permanent, complete, and full victory over sin. And then the four gospels come along and tell us about the life of the true rescuer. He's here. His victory comes not in political dynasty. It comes in humility and weakness, in death on a cross, but then in power and resurrection from the grave. And then the other 23 books of the New Testament Look at how what Jesus did provides hope and direction for us who follow him. If you can see that the Bible is looking forward to Jesus, telling you about his life, his death and resurrection, and then looking back on it and its implications for us. If you can see that, that it's about Jesus, it's not primarily about you, it'll change everything about how you read the Bible and what you get from it. See, the scriptures are a gift. They're a gift for your flourishing but the scriptures are not primarily about you. Now it's for you, but it's not primarily about you. And the more you see that it's not primarily about you, that you're not the main character, the better you'll be for it. The primary purpose of the scriptures is not a how-to manual. And a lot of Christians struggle to understand it that way because they approach it looking for answers. Like how do I, the only time you go in there is to go flip, 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 flip. How do I handle my husband when he annoys me? Flip, 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 flip. Or how do I decide which job to take? Flip, 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 flip. 
You get into it and you flip to a genealogy or a list of sacrifices or the dimensions of the temple or a page after page of histories of characters whose lives are of much more dubious moral character than, than anything like you would ever experience. And you're like, what has this got to do with anything in my life? Here's how the author Michael Reeves in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, responds to that. I thought it was brilliant. He says, when you see that Christ is the subject of all the scriptures, that he is the word, the Lord, the son who reveals the father, the promised hope, the true temple, the true sacrifice, the great high priest, the ultimate king, then you can read not so much asking, what does this mean for me right now? But what do I learn here of Christ? Knowing that the Bible's about him and not about me means that instead of reading the Bible obsessing about me, I can gaze on him. And as through the pages, you get caught up in the wonder of his story, you find your heart strangely pounding for him in a way you never would if you would have treated the Bible as a book about you. Y'all, the Bible's in a class all its own. It isn't a self-help book because you aren't the main character. Jesus is. It's not a philosophy textbook because its primary purpose and, and focus is a person, not just a system of thought. It's not a mythology because its primary genre is historical real-time narrative backed up with plenty of historical evidence. It's about Jesus. And the more you see it's about Jesus, the better it will be for you. I think that might be one of the big things that so many Christians that have been sitting around church, or at least they would check off that they're Christians, they go to church once in a while, what they're missing, the reason they struggle to pick up the Bible is because they think of it as a, only a how-to manual and they can't figure out the manual. And that's about Jesus. And when you see that, your obedience to God's commands will flow from a place of receiving God's love for you which is written all over the pages. One more thing I want you to see about what the Bible says about itself. It comes in 2 Timothy chapter three. The apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, this young preacher who's trying to lead a church. And he tells Timothy to cling to the sacred scriptures. So he says right before the verse, I'm gonna show you in verse 16. He says, cling to the sacred scriptures. And then he says this, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Oh, all right. I feel like I only do this occasionally, but it's time for some Greek learning. All right, you ready for some quick Greek learning? Yeah. Good, okay, Greek time. All right, I'll only pull this out again when I think it will significantly impact uh, the way you can understand a text. That phrase, inspired by God. All right, it is one word in Greek. The word is theonoustos, all right? And we're gonna say it together, okay? The P is silent. It's not theopanoustos, okay? Be, be a good Greek student right here, okay? Like you know something. All right, theonoustos. Everybody ready? Theonoustos. All right, you have learned Greek today. Um, this word is our, again, inspired by God is our best English attempt at this phrase. It actually literally communicates, it is breathed out by God. Theo, God, noustos, the breath. All right, it's the very breath of God himself. And that might just sound weird to some of you, but if you're new to church, that's why we Christians often call the Bible the word of God because of this verse right here. He has spoken through these authors to us. In fact, Hebrews 4 says that for the word of God is living. 
and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here's what we can say about it. The Bible is the living word of God. So I don't want you to grab hold of today. It's the living word of God, which is probably the most bizarre thing again, but most important thing about what I have to say today. C.S. Lewis called the Bible, this is a great, the Bible is the book that reads you. That's what Paul is getting at in Hebrews 4. It's the book that reads you. The Spirit of God moves through the Word of God in a way that is honestly a kind of a mystery. Look at what Paul says to Timothy about how valuable the Word of God is, about how valuable it is. Look at that passage there. It is useful for teaching. The church gets all of its direction from the Scriptures. You want to grow as a follower of Jesus? Everything you need to obey Jesus in all of life is right there. In fact, study after study, listen to me, has shown that the number one predictor of spiritual growth is Bible engagement. The number one, I mean, study, I, could, I, I read at least five of them this week that were surveying thousands of churches, thousands of people from all different denominational lines. Number one indicator of whether or not someone's gonna grow spiritually is Bible engagement which means you read and respond to your Bible every day. That's it. <laughs> you just get there in front of your Bible every day. You're three times more likely to pray, three times more likely to give, four times more likely to talk about your faith with someone else that um, doesn't know Jesus. I mean, all of these things in the Christian life all flow from, are you engaging scripture? Some of you are thinking, <laughs> I don't think I could ever help somebody else follow Jesus. Timothy was feeling that way. And Paul said, no, no, just the book. Just hang on to the Bible. It's got everything you need, Timothy. And the same message being communica communicated to you today. The Bible has everything you need for life and for teaching. And if you wanna teach someone how to follow Jesus, just get them in the Bible, read the Bible with them. That's all you have to do. Here's the next thing though, it's not just teaching, it's rebuking and correcting. That is calling yourself and others away from sin. And this is crucial because sin is rebelling against God's word which is therefore rebelling against God himself. Sin is not rebellion against personal preferences, right? So what we do is we call one another away from sin. We're gonna talk about that a little bit next week in community. But if you come to me and you say to me, hey, this happened, or we, maybe it's a church-related thing. We did this this way and I don't like it. My first response is, is that a sin issue or a preference issue? How do we know? We look in the pages of scripture. If it's a sin issue, then rebuking comes with grace. And if it's a preference issue, we learn to lay our preferences down for the sake of one another. But it's not just rebuking and correcting, it's training in righteousness. That goes right back to the tree planted by the stream. If you will train yourself with these words, oh, how good it will be for your soul and for your life. This is why we encourage you to study the scriptures, even memorize the scriptures because they will be so good for you as you walk day in and day out in your life. The Bible is your guide for flourishing. It is the story of God rescuing you through Christ. It is the very living word of God. Do you realize, do you realize how important this book is? Well, let me say the problem is not for many of you probably that you don't know that, how important it is. The problem is just, you're just not doing anything about it which may mean you actually don't realize how important it is. But think about this. If I offered you, if I offered you half a million dollars to never touch the Bible again, never hear it, never read it, never talk about it, never even think about it, ever again, rest of your life, rest of your life, would you accept that? Would you take that? 
most of you would say no. So think about that for a second. You just identified an asset that is worth over half a million dollars. Is there any other half a million dollar asset that you would just ignore? (laughs) If that shows you the value you place on the word, why are you not devouring it? Goes right back to that moment in that classroom. And by the way, even those of you who say, I'm not sure if the Bible is actually the word of God, if that's the camp you're in, if offered you that same deal, half a million dollars to never read or hear or think about it again, I think most of you would probably say no, because if there's even a chance it is the word of God, you wouldn't want to be cut off from it. So if you think it has that much potential value, why aren't you devouring it to figure out if it actually is the word of God? It makes sense to me if someone says the Bible is not the word of God and they pay no attention to it. It makes sense if someone says they're not sure it is, but they're diligently trying to figure it out. What makes no sense is when someone says it might be or definitely is the word of God, but you're not desperately trying to get into it. When someone says, yes, it's the word of God, and you're not devouring its contents to learn every word God has to say about your life. That makes no sense. Now, I told you I'd give you some handles, so let me close by introducing you to a devotional tool that you can use in your time in God's word this week, okay? And my challenge to you today, read the Bible every day this week, all right? Even if that means read Psalm 1 every single day this week. It's six verses. Start there. I don't care, okay? Um, the tool that we're going to give you, though, is something we call GRIP. Actually, our own Joey Schwartz, um, who will kind of train you in it over at thegospelwheel.com. He came up with this, and it's been a really cool tool that I've um, started to use in my own time just to get familiar with it and really um, benefited from it. Uh, and the GRIP is an acronym. It's go to God, read the Bible, ingest the truth, and pray to God. And this is, this is how you sit down with the Bible this afternoon or tomorrow morning. If what we really need is God, then our time of personal devotion each day is we're trying to get a grip on God, cling fast to him. All right, so here's the, here's the thing. Let me break it down for you, this acronym. The G, go to God, means you begin your time with God in prayer, okay? So go directly to him, declare your desire for the time that you have that, that morning or that afternoon, whenever you do it. We wanna to declare to God and to ourselves that we're here not just to check some task off of a list. We're here to get more of him, to grow in our knowledge of him. So that can be a one-sentence prayer, like Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I might behold the wondrous things of your law. That's it. That's my prayer, right? I'm orienting myself to what I'm doing with the Bible. And then read the Bible. Listen, the one thing I hope I've shown you today is that you can meet God in the pages of the Bible. So pick a simple reading plan. Um, There's one in that Bible app called F, uh, like for faith, F260. Um, And it just walks you through like kind of the highlights of the Bible over the course of the year. I would encourage you towards that one. Um, I'm doing a Bible in the year right now. Again, got an app on my phone. It reminds me every morning, 6 a.m., hey, time to read the Bible. And I sit down and read my chapters for the day. Whatever it is, just get and make it a regular thing and ingest. And that leads us to ingesting the truth. Listen, there is checklist reading and then there is feasting. See, checklist is trying to get done so you can say you did it. Feasting is trying to take it all in. You'll read slower, that's the point. Feast, ask some questions. I mean, every time you're reading the Bible, what is this saying? What does it mean? Those are two different questions. What is it saying? What are the words actually saying? What does this mean? And what do I need to believe? What do I need to apply? What are some truths that I need to believe? And then what steps do I need to take in applying them? 
and I'd encourage you to memorize it. Do it with a friend, grab another friend, say, we're gonna memorize uh, this uh, passage of scripture. Maybe it's Ephesians 1 is where I first started. It was a fantastic chapter of scripture to memorize, but it could be Psalm 1, six verses. And lastly, pray. This will help your devotional life be a relationship with God, not just a learning exercise. Talk with God. You never prayed before? Just keep your Bible open and just say, God, help me believe these truths. Help me take these steps and then talk to him. Talk to him about what's going on in your life. I just don't know how to say it. There are no prayers too small that God doesn't care about them. He loves you. He loves prayer. So go talk to him. And also there's nothing too big that God can't intervene in. My goodness. I mean, my goodness, we've needed him this week, haven't we? Just start somewhere. And with your Bible open, talk to God. You don't know what else to say? Just tell him, help me, God, to pray. I don't know how to pray. Help me pray. He's not the God that you're trying to unlock a secret code to get to. He's your creator. He's your father who is near. He's near to you. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a chance at least to, to pray, at least to pray. I'm going to walk you through um, a promise that is over in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And maybe if this was your passage of scripture that you had open, here's how you would, you would grip it. In fact, I'll just read verses 13 and 14. We don't want you. This is Paul talking to Christians who have lost Christian brothers and sisters in the Lord. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, those who have died, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if we believe that in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The passage goes on to talk about when we're going to actually meet them. And it finishes with, therefore, encourage one another with these words. We read that, we go to God and say, God, I'm ready to hear from you today. We read that, we ingest that, which means we take its promises. What is it saying? It's saying death does not have victory over me. It's saying to be absent from here, to be absent in this world is to be present with Christ, right? We see that we have eternity secure and we have hope all because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so we encourage one another when we are in periods of, of mourning and grief we say, this is not all there is. That comes from God's word. And then we pray and we say, God, help me to believe it in a hard time. So let me give you just a couple of minutes to pray for you to talk with God. You notice our whole service is following this grip method. We open, we open going to God in prayer and in song. We read his word, sermons, uh, you heard his word read, and then sermons are a part of ingesting the truth. It's figuring out what does this say? What does this mean? How can I apply it to my life? And then we go back to him in prayer again. That's what we're doing now. So I want you to take a second. I want to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. I'll lead you just through a brief moment of prayer. How do you need to respond to God today? As you hear the the glories of his word, maybe just, just a few of them of his word, of his calling to you to meet him in those pages. How do you need to respond to him? Talk to him. Go to God. Maybe you're not a Christian and today you come home to God for the first time because all the promises in scripture are yes to you only in Christ. And you need him today. He died on the cross for your sins 
so that you can be reconciled to God the Father. You need to say, yes, God, I believe that I am a sinner. Christ died for my sins. I believe he rose again, which means he has victory over death. Death is not the end. I will have eternity with you. Yes, God, I believe today. And you receive the embrace of the Father pulling his arms around you. Christian, oh, would you, if nothing else, pray for, pray for comfort. We find the great comforter. We find him in scripture, comforting those who mourn. Pray against fear. Maybe you need to confess sin to him and come back home to him. Take just another moment. instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are reliable, altogether righteous, more desirable than gold, than an abundance of gold, sweeter than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them. In keeping them, there is abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. Don't let them rule me. Then I'll be blameless and cleansed from my rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Lord, my rock, my redeemer. God, with this morning, would it be an offering of praise to the one that we meet in the pages of scripture. I pray that we'd be a people that immerses ourselves, if nothing else, into your word and finds you there and is overwhelmed by you. We worship. We worship this God who has redeemed us through Christ, has made us new, has made us a people for his glory. We worship you today, Father.